You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, we're not dismissing anyone like we uh, normally do at this time. Uh, so we're all together, and um, as, if you're a kid with us, you should have gotten a, pa- a bag on the way in. If you didn't, Mom and Dad, you can go back and grab one. In that bag, there are some uh, things that you can track along with in the sermon. I believe there's one uh, little sheet in there that uh, has you can identify words that, are, that you hear in the sermon. So uh, be listening carefully uh, so that you'll be able to mark those, and then you can turn those in and get some kind of uh, amazing uh, I don't know, trip to Hawaii or something amazing, because uh, if you do them all. Well, tomorrow is All Saints Day. In the history of the church, tomorrow is called uh, All Saints Day. It's a feast uh, that's been held in, uh, in more, and is still honored today and recognized in the liturgical church. Uh, it is called All Saints Day to recognize the saints and the martyrs uh, who have gone before us. Uh, Today, it's also called uh, All Hallows Day, so it's All Hallows Day, All Saints Day. Today is the day before, the eve of that, so it's uh, the eve of All Saints Day or the eve of All Hallows Day or All Hallows Eve, which is where we get the word Halloween. It is the, uh, it is in the church, in church history, it is the night uh, before the celebration or the day before the celebration of uh, recognizing the saints. Now today, it's large in our culture, a secular holiday uh, influenced by church history and also the practices of the uh, Celtic people who um, this was the day before their new year and they did all kinds of stuff and inviting spirits and all kinds of crazy. But uh, at any rate, that's kind of gotten blended in with what's happened in the church. And uh, so we have Halloween. Now, there's another event in church history that today represents as well. And this is what I'm going to talk about today. Today is also known as uh, not only um, All Hallows' Eve, but it's known as Reformation Day. Reformation Day, and Reformation Day is tied uh, largely to, uh, many people were involved in the Reformation, but Reformation Day is tied uh, specifically to the role of Martin Luther. And we're going to talk today about a verse that changed the world uh, out of Romans 1, but I'm going to tell you about Martin Luther first. So this is, a, this is our friend Martin, uh, a little bit later in his life, but Martin was born in 1483, as a long time ago in Germany. Uh, his father worked as a copper miner. So his dad was a very hard, did hard labor. And uh, he always dreamed that his son Martin would grow up to be a lawyer. And he trained him from a very early age, gave him opportunity that he might grow up and become a lawyer. And his goal was clear so that Martin would make a lot of money and be able to take care of his mom and dad in their old age. Boys and girls, this is a worthy career pursuit uh, for all of you. Uh, Thank you. Courtesy laugh by a little one on the second row who has no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, so 
This is, this is what he wanted to be a lawyer. So he grew up studying Latin. He mastered it at an early age. And by 14, he was so advanced that he moved away from his family to go to another city to go to a better school on his own. If you can imagine being 14 and leaving your family for a better education, that's what he did. Well, when he first moved off, he had an experience that would shape him for life. Uh, he, uh, he saw a very poor, thin beggar. And the beggar was going door to door to get bread to eat. And Martin asked someone, who is this beggar going door to door for bread? And his friend told him, well, that is Prince William of Anhalt. Prince William, you see, had become a beggar. He gave up a life of luxury to become a monk. And he took a vow of poverty, which meant he was committed to being poor, and he became a monk. A monk was a religious person uh, who lived with other religious people, sort of separated from the world. And uh, so Martin said, well, why would someone who had so much money and so much power, uh, political power, become a monk? And he found out that becoming a monk was the only sure way to go to heaven, the only sure way Uh, was to become a religious person like that. Well, Martin was deeply troubled by this because he thought as a young man, how am I going to make it to heaven if I become a wealthy lawyer? How will God possibly accept me if the monk's life is the acceptable life that God desires? How will I be able to be what God wants me to be. And so he made a commitment as a young person that I'm going to be as good as I can. He was very concerned with being a moral person. Well, after one year at that school, he moved to another school, and he actually lived with a family. And for the next three years, he he, uh, had a very interesting experience in his upbringing. This family regularly had monks and priests in their home at night where they would just sit around and talk Talk about weighty things like God and heaven and hell. And so he heard discussion every night about heaven and hell, and this worried him. He became increasingly worried by his own condition, his own soul. And at a young age, he became almost obsessed with being right with God. What does it mean to be right with God? And how can I be right with God? And it just... it. it um, it weighed upon him. Well, at age 22, he started law school and fulfilled his father's dream for him. And uh, during a school break, he went home for a 10-day break, kind of like what we have as spring break, Uh, spent time with his parents. You can imagine his dad was celebrating your first year of law school. I'm so proud of you, son. And on the way back to school, he walked 50 miles. On the way back to school, there was a thunderstorm. There was a thunderstorm, a bad thunderstorm, uh, and he was terrified. You see, in those days, uh, people commonly believed that when there was thunder and lightning that God was expressing his anger. And Luther lived with an awareness of God's uh, holiness, and so he assumed that God was especially angry at him. And expressing that, and he was overwhelmed by what was going on in the storm. Well, to get out of danger, he ran and hid under a tree. And do you know what happened? The tree was struck by lightning. 
And he was certain that at that moment, God was giving him a message. God in his holiness and his anger, Martin thought, was giving him a message. And so Martin wanted to cry out for rescue, but he knew he didn't think he could talk to God. He thought God was too holy, so he had to talk to someone who could talk to God for him. So he prayed to a saint, someone who was already dead and then gone on. He prayed to uh, Saint Anna. She was the patron saint of the miners. So he knew about her because his dad was a miner and the patron saint of the miners was Anna. So he cried out to Anna and he said, Saint Anna, save me, save me. And if you save me, I will become a monk. The storm stopped and he was okay. And two weeks later, he had dropped out of law school much to his dad's disappointment. His dad was furious, actually, and entered a monastery, a holy place with all kinds of religious men. And when he started out at age 22, he worked harder than any of the monks. Luther was said to get up at 2 a.m. in the morning for prayer and for meditation. He wanted to please God with all of his life, so he fasted all the time, went without food, uh, for God. And, and he got himself, he became very thin himself. Here he is as a monk. Uh, he, he never slept in his bed. He had a little bitty room. He didn't sleep in his bed. To pay for his sins, he would sleep on a hard floor and he would stretch out in the shape of a cross, sleeping like on a concrete floor so that he could somehow make up for his sins. He would confess his sins, so much he would confess his sins that the priest themselves who heard his sin confessions were like, calm down. He was too much for even them. He would go over and over his sins in detail. Well, later, after all of this, he became a priest himself. And when he became a priest, he actually received a Bible, which was rare in those days. Luther lived after the printing press had been printed, so there were Bibles being printed, but it was still very rare to have one. And he received a Bible, and he began to pour over the Bible looking for salvation. Well, as a priest, he had an opportunity to go to Rome. Rome was where the center of the church was. It's where the Pope lived. It's where all of the church leaders uh, worked and served. And so he had this opportunity to go see what he had only heard about, uh, where the church was headquartered. And so he went to Rome, and when he got there, things began to start, a beginning process of unraveling for Martin Luther. There was two things he saw in Rome that were very troubling to him. The first was this, there was great wealth. The church had all of the finest artwork in the world, great buildings, uh, and there was tremendous wealth. And he had taken a vow of poverty, and he was troubled by that. But there was something else that he was very troubled by, and this was something called indulgences. Indulgences. So an indulgence was if you made a donation to the church, then you could shorten your time in purgatory. Uh, or you could shorten your relative's time in purgatory. Purgatory, they believed, was uh, where a person went after death, where they were purified and purged of their sins, sometimes for thousands of years, uh, before they could go to heaven. So it was for the Christian person uh, to sort of get fully cleansed because you weren't quite ready for heaven when you died. 
And so people were going around making donations in Rome so that their relatives could get out of purgatory quicker or they could cut their purgatory time. And the way they did this was you went to all of these different sites, these relics, these relic sites, and you gave money to get out of purgatory. And these, these relic sites were sketchy. There was like one where they believed it was a stone with a footprint of Jesus in it. And if you gave money there, you could get out. There was another where they claimed to have the sword that beheaded Paul. If you gave money there, you could get out, shorten your time or shorten someone else's time. There was a spot where they claimed to have a piece of rope that had been tied to Jesus on the day of his crucifixion. There was actually a spot where they believed they had part of the burning bush uh, that Moses uh, had seen so many years ago. And ultimately, there was a spot where Peter and Paul were actually buried. They said there was a star, and if you kissed the star and gave money, you could get 17,000 years deducted from your purgatory sentence. Well, Luther wanted to be right with God. He went to every site, and he gave money at every one of them. But it didn't sit right with him because he thought something isn't right about paying money to, you know, shorten his time in purgatory. Well, when he got home, he became more and more hopeless because whatever he did, he still felt guilty before God. He could never do enough before a holy God. God seemed distant to him. God seemed angry to him. One time Luther told another priest, I have been driven to the very abyss of despair. I wish I had never been created. Love God, I hate him. That's where he came. He became so distraught, so depressed that he could not live the life that God had called him to live. And, uh, and he ultimately, his heart was hardening to the Lord. Well, during this time, something happened uh, that would change him. He got a new job assignment. He became a professor. This is what he looked like teaching uh, in his class uh, as a professor. Uh, he taught in the theology department um, at uh, the University of Wittenberg in Germany. And he began to teach through the Bible. And here's what happened. He taught a class on the book of Psalms, and as he read the book of Psalms, he just kept encountering this phrase, the righteousness of God, the justice of God. God is righteous. And every time he read that, he turned just almost red, thinking God is holy. He's just, it's on every page reminding him that God is holy, and I am not. So every time he saw it, he felt like he was in trouble and that God was uh, going to judge him. But then he had the assignment to teach through the book of Romans. And when he taught through the book of Romans, when he taught through the very first chapter, he landed on a verse that changed his life. And ultimately, this is a verse that changed Western civilization, not only his life, but changed Western civilization. And it's found in Romans 1, 16 through 17. Romans 1, 16 through 17, this is what it says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So he saw something here about the righteousness of God that could be received by faith 
and not his works. Anthony Hokema in a book uh, uh, writes about this experience of Luther, and he says, this is what he says, suddenly the light dawned on Luther. The righteousness of God here that Paul had in mind was not God's punitive justice which leads him to punish sinners, but rather a righteousness which God gives to the needy sinner and which that sinner accepts by faith. This was a spotless and perfect righteousness earned by Christ which God graciously bestows on all who believe. No longer did Luther need to seek the basis for peace of soul in himself, in his own good works. Now he could look away from himself to Christ and live by faith instead of groveling in fear. At that moment, the Protestant Reformation was born. Bells began to ring in Luther's soul. Peace and joy now flooded his being. Romans 1.17 now became for him, quote, the gate of paradise, the key which unlocked the Bible. Just before Luther discovered this verse and this truth, he was, he was uh, depressed about his failures, uh, his inability to obey God. And one day he said this, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. And when he saw this verse and believed it, he said, I felt I was altogether born again and had entered paradise through these open gates. Luther was free. He became free and he began to teach this message of grace. And what happened was, something that probably had never happened before, the public showed up at his college classes, and the public listened to him lecture and teach about grace. It was called the new theology. And, and he was teaching that you didn't have to earn your salvation. You could not earn your salvation. He started teaching that you can't atone for your own sins. Luther used to beat himself because of his sins. But he realized all the beatings and sleeping like he's on a cross on a hard floor and fasting until he became frail and going over his sins over and over, it never freed him until he received grace from God. He began to preach against the relics uh, and the superstition around them. He began to preach against the spiritual leaders who were teaching false things. And he began to preach against indulgences because the practice had spread from Rome and had now come to where he lived in Germany. And he became seriously concerned because what he observed was these poor peasants in Germany that were taking what little money they had and they were giving it, making a donation to get a relative out of purgatory. And he said he just had to take a stand. Well, the breaking point came when a particularly famous monk named Johann Tetzel came to the area where Luther was, and he began to sell indulgences. Uh, he was a flashy guy. He had a parade. Uh, there's a famous, uh, a famous saying that's uh, it's, it's in every church history book, uh, but a famous saying about Johann Tetzel that he would say when he came to town with his parade to sell indulgences, he would say that when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And uh, he would sell these indulgences. But here's what Tetzel did. 
Tetzel began to sell indulgences not only to shorten your purgatory time, not only to uh, basically get your relative out of purgatory, but to get forgiveness for sins that you hadn't even committed yet. And so people were buying certificates to free them of sins that they hadn't committed. Now, I do want to say something. This was a, a very corrupt time in church history. And if you're watching online or you're visiting with us and you're Roman Catholic, I, I want to say that I understand the church doesn't act like this now. And my, my goal today is not to bash the Roman Catholic church. Um, uh, that, that's not the goal of teaching this. Um, but the goal is to show what happens when someone believes that righteousness comes by their works. And when a corrupt uh, church, any church, any corrupt church loses the message, doesn't have the message of the gospel, the danger that comes. So this isn't a message bashing. This is a message celebrating the grace of God that we all read in our Bibles today. So I want to be very, very clear about that, but I'm just trying to communicate what happened in history. Well, when Tetzel was selling these, your sins are forgiven, but if you pay this money, uh, the money was used to build St. Peter's Basilica. They were, it, was a building, it was a building campaign is what it was. And so once that happened, Luther said, this is too far. And Luther took a radical stand. He wrote out 95 points of why the church was failing to teach the gospel. It's 95 theses, and he walked right down to All Saints Church uh, in Wittenberg. And on October 31st, 1517, on All Saints Eve, uh, he goes down to All Saints Church, and he hammers these theses up on the church door and uh, to announce to everybody uh, that he was taking a stand for the gospel and for the grace of God and against the abuses that were occurring at that time. This was October 31st, uh, 1517. So the, the 500th anniversary of this was celebrated four years ago. But it's the nailing of these theses and the announcing of the grace of God that is now celebrated on October 31st as Reformation Day, not just among Lutherans, but, again, uh, but among prof, uh, Protestants altogether. And it's a day to celebrate a couple of the primary things that God used Luther to bring us. One is that the Bible is for all of us to read. And secondly, the big message was, he, he, he had a lot of messages, many, many good things, uh, but he, he had his own problems too. Let's be clear about that. He did some things and said some things that weren't so great. But ultimately, his legacy was to leave us the biblical doctrine, to, re, to uncover it again, that we are justified. That is, we are made right with God through faith and not our works. And you see in the text that we read in this morning, there's three, three quick things I want to point out that in that text we see that uh, this is what Paul says in Romans 1 uh, about the gospel. He says, first of all, that the gospel is not shameful. Um, could I pull an audible on in the slides? Like, can you go back to the scripture? I didn't ask you to do this, but on Romans 1, could we put that scripture up so that everybody could see that again? Thank you. Um, uh, First of all, he says here that the gospel is not shameful. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why would Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Why would anybody think the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, would be shameful? Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is the message that God became a man and died on a cross. In our world, that looks foolish. 
and nobody wants to be a fool, thought of as a fool, so we could be embarrassed, and there's a temptation to be embarrassed about uh, a truth that we believe that's different than what most of the world believes. But I think there's another reason that he says he's not ashamed, and I, I think it has to, it goes back to Martin Luther's great struggle. If it is true that the gospel is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, if it's true that God provides for us righteousness that we could never obey and provide our own, well, then it means that we are weak, and it means that we are needy, and it means that we are inadequate, and it means that we are hopeless on our own. We can't be moral enough, religious enough. uh, We can't be righteous enough, and that is humbling. That's humbling because we want to achieve. There's something hardwired in us that we want to earn our way. We don't want to be like those people that need a handout. We don't want to be like those people uh, who need help. We are proud of our achievements, but we are ashamed when we need help. We are embarrassed. The gospel is not anything to be ashamed about, though the reality is we can all feel the temptation Uh, to want to earn our own and get our own. And Paul says, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Secondly, he says the gospel is powerful, for it is the power of God uh, for salvation. The good news is the very power of God. What Luther learned and what Paul teaches us here is that the, the, the gospel is not about a plan of action to improve your life. It's not about being better. The gospel is not about doing better. It's not even about imitating Jesus. The gospel is news. The word means good news. The gospel is something we hear announced to us. The gospel is not you do this. The gospel is here's what's been done for you. The gospel is not do, it is done. The gospel is something you hear and you receive and you believe and your life is forever changed. That's what Paul says, it's the very power of God. The announcing of the news, the announcing of the Bible story of God's creation and the fall of Adam and Eve and God's promise to rescue a people for himself and God coming in Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, to be raised again, to pour out his spirit upon us so that today, if we receive him by faith, we're joined with him. That message, he will one day come and make all things new. That message, when it is taught from the Bible, it has the very power in the spoken words or in the written words on the page of the Bible to take a dead person spiritually and make them alive. Luther worked harder than anyone I've ever read about, and he could not be disciplined enough or right enough. No one can, but when you hear this announcement, it's done for you, and you believe there is a power that changes everything about us. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It shows us our need for rescue and that Jesus rescues us. And lastly, this is the big point I've been talking about in the long story about Luther and Reformation Day. The gospel is righteousness from God. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith uh, for faith. Or as the NIV says, from faith first to last. It's all by faith is what the NIV translates that. Um, And now this, this, uh, where it says, for the, uh, in the righteousness of God, of God, it also can be translated the righteousness from God. Either is correct. 
But the gospel is the power of God for salvation because in it the, the, God, the righteousness of Christ is revealed, the righteousness of God, and it is provided. In other words, in the good news of what God has done for us, we find out that what God requires of us, God provides for us. He requires perfection and he gives it to us free in Jesus Christ. This is the good news, a righteousness from God that he provides for us. This verse is very similar to Philippians 3. This is what Philippians 3, 8 and 9 says. Uh, Paul had talked in Philippians 3 about all that he had done, all of his righteous acts, every good thing he had done, and then he wrote this, indeed I count everything, all that I've done, all of my righteous deeds, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or obedience to the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so what Luther learned that Paul teaches us here, that there is a righteousness that does not come from our works that's provided for us in God through the work of Jesus, and we receive it by faith, by simple belief. So if you believe in the work of Jesus, if you believe he died for your sins, that you believe that he rose, and you've trusted him, then you're joined and united to him. And he loves you just as much as he loves his own son. God loves you, accepts you as much as he accepts his own son because it's his son's righteousness that is yours. It's his death and resurrection that forgives you of your sins. You know, in all of his despair, the story of Luther is, it's, it's incredible, but in all of his despair, he did have one thing very right, and that's that God requires righteousness for us to be in right standing with him. The question is, whose righteousness? Will you stand before God on your own behavior and your own good works, or will you stand before God on the righteousness of another, the free gift of righteousness that he gives to everyone who believes? Luther was right. It really is all about righteousness and right standing with God. It's not enough just to read the scripture and say, well, that's an interesting thought, but we need to receive what God has done for us. And you may be here today and you say, well, I've never, I've never had my conscience cleansed. I've never received the new life that you're talking about. I've never had this experience of, um, of uh, hearing the good news and believing the good news and being changed by the good news as Benny gave testimony to when he was baptized this morning. Well, what's required of us is to look and to receive, recognizing we can do nothing for ourselves to be right with God. It's a turning from all of our bad works and receiving the gift of what Christ has done for us. It's also a turning, as Luther did, from all of our good works and saying, Lord, none of my works uh, make me right with you. As Paul said, I count them all as trash. All of my good works are trash, he said when it comes to being right with you because now there's a righteousness that is a gift by faith from first and last. So Christ has changed everything for us 
through his work on the cross and resurrection. And it is our joy to know his, the freedom, the peace, the joy that comes in being relieved of the burden of our sin and freed and empowered to live a new life by grace. Luther taught a lot more. We could talk a lot about what he did in his life, but this is the heart of Reformation Day. The righteousness from God that's been given to us as a gift by faith. Let's pray, and as we do right now, uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to pray for those of you who may not know the Lord, who may not experience this. I'm going to ask you, uh, God, to turn your heart and ask you to respond to Him in your heart with faith. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.